Good morning, Saltbox. Welcome to our cafeteria. We have a, a very special uh, speaker today, pastor, preacher, and one of our elders, Ruth Calver. But before we go there, I, I want to reminisce on something. You hear our little ones going out? You know, we have decided to be a church that lets our little ones come in and goes out knowing that we're going to hear that. But it's worth it. Can we say that? It is worth it because we want little ones that know how to worship alongside the big ones. All right, so I want to reflect back to about a year ago when Abby and I started gathering with just us in our living room for prayer. And many Sundays it was just Abby and I, and we'd look at each other and go, and one Sunday, Wayne and Sally Freeze showed up. Will y'all stand up? I'm just going to have you stand just for a second. These two showed up, and when they left our house, I think Abby and I literally crumpled to the ground and cried and went, oh my goodness, the Lord is going to plant a church out of this. Now here's what I want to I pause for just a minute. We started in our living room and we gathered for 90 days of prayer. It was the most obtuse, unexciting, unpolished, just prayer. No worship. We had lunch when we were done. That was it. If you were part of that, would you stand? Tim and Joanne Wright, Elizabeth Downing, Monica and David. If you gathered in our living room at any point. Okay, from there, we went and we gathered in a new living room. It was called the YMCA. And we still didn't tell anybody what we were doing. We didn't, it, was, it was this big kind of secret, word of mouth only, and we gathered at the Y. If you joined us in the Y living room, would you stand up? A few more people joined us at the Y living room. Okay, cool. And then we moved over here to Hogger, January 6th. And this was our new living room. Now, who joined us in our... Hoggard living room. Would you stand to your feet if you joined us way back in the old days when we... Come on, everybody stand up. Yes, I'm making you stand. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Everybody stand up. Come on. Go, go. Humor me just a second. Stand up, everybody. If you joined us at the Y or at, at Hoggard, stand to your feet. Come on, everybody, everybody. I'm holding out for you. Come on. Now, here's the thing. There's a carpet up here behind me, and it represents a living room. And we started in our living room, and then we went to the Y living room, and now we're at the Hoggard living room. And listen to me, there's going to be more living rooms, and they're going to be bigger, and they're going to be different. And every time something changes, it doesn't mean your place and your significance in this church is going to change. Now listen to me just a second. I know you're standing, but hear me, because this is important. If you look, and I'm going to use a business analogy. My brain works a little bit like that. But if you look at business, and you see how an owner walks into a business versus a low-level employee walks into a business... When a piece of trash is on the floor, what does a low-level employee do? Walks right by it. What does an owner do? When an owner, I was literally in a, in a restroom at a restaurant one time. You can sit down. Everybody can sit down. I was literally in a restaurant one time, and the owner walked in, and the whole uh, counter was all a mess. What do you think the owner did? What's a low-level employee do? Doesn't even notice. When a, when a new family is walking in the courtyard or outside, what does an owner do? greets them, asks them for lunch, walks them to the kids' area. Now listen to me, this is so important. 
1 Corinthians 12 says every one of us who is in Christ are members of the body of Christ. That means you are owners and shareholders in the kingdom of God. And you have an option and a choice whether you become an owner here at Saltbox and what God's doing. That's the invitation this Sunday and every Sunday that you can walk in here and not go, how do I fit in? I don't know. I'm not sure. And be insecure because we all get insecure, right? Even me and my big bald head. Or you can walk in here and go, I am part of what God is doing here. You are part from the very first people that came into our living room and Abby and I cried. Yeah? Okay. Where am I going now? Announcements. I I think uh, small groups are coming up. Uh, Steve, would you wave at us? He introduced the sermon. He is our pastor of small groups. So if you are are currently leading a small group, would you see him at our uh, welcome table out here where you can also get a t-shirt? If you want to be in a small group, you can also see him. We're still working out that process, so give us some grace. Um, And I think that is it before uh, we pray for a few people. So we're praying for two people today. We're going to start with Jay Corpening. Jay, would you come up? This is Judge Jay Corpening, everybody. He is the head district court judge downtown. He has just had a hip replacement. If you're more comfortable sitting, you can, or you can stand right, you can stand right here. All right. Now, Jay is going on a short-term mission trip to Alaska if the storm cooperates. He's supposed to fly out Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning? Tuesday morning, he's going to a remote part of Alaska called Bethel, Alaska. There's 26 schools that he's actually going to be speaking to and sharing with. Most of those don't have electricity or running water. So we want to send him out as a representative and missionary, and I've asked Clive if he will bless him and pray for us. There are are basically, Jay, two distinctive um, forms of mission. Uh, outside of the one where we go to learn from the people. We'll get a bit of that. But there are two things that we specifically go for. One is um, in a consulting capacity because we've served and worked and and therefore we're in positions that know more and we can go and be of help. Uh, And that's normally a short trip taking the expertise. And that's what you're doing. You're taking your expertise and you're going to go and serve. Uh, a little later, we're going to pray for a couple who are doing incarnational mission. That means that they go for longer. They don't have the, the stall of, uh, of tremendous stuff to unload, but they're just going themselves. So two different kinds. We wanted to explain the two different kinds because they're both really strategic. The fact that you are a judge, the fact that you have served in a high position here, the fact that you're going to go and, and work in Alaska where nobody knows you, I think this is great. Are you looking forward to it? <laughs> yes, if the storm cooperates. So we've got to pray for the storm. We've got to pray for the servant of the Lord as he goes. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we do it. Michael will anoint with oil in biblical fashion. By the way, the anointing with oil is not just a ceremony. The oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. So we are praying that the Spirit of God will come on the servant of God to break out in all kinds of exciting things. And you may never know until heaven what God used you to do. You may find out on earth. Either way, it's all great fun. Lord, we thank you for your servant. We thank you for the joy of friendship with him.
We thank you for what he means to this church and what he does and achieves here. We thank you for the call on his life to go wherever you take him and to be used in whatever ways you have for him. So, Lord, take this man with his energies and his giftedness. Take this man with his knowledge and his understanding and his growth in you. Anoint him with your spirit in a very special way. And, Lord, break out in power through him. Use him and may things come from this trip which go way, way, way beyond anything he could ever have dreamed of. And, Lord, as his church, we commit him into your hands as Lord of the church. In the name of Jesus, amen. We have one more. You may sit down. We have one more couple that we are going to be praying for. It's Bill and Shelley Trowell. They have a ministry in Italy, and we are sending them out, blessing them. And they are actually living in Italy among the people. So they are building relationships with the people, and they are really not planting a church, but they're leading people to Jesus unto establishing a church at some point. So we are praying for them and blessing them. Yeah, I'm so glad you elders came out. Do you want to say anything? Yeah, I think we need to say something about membership. Um, we've tried to explain that membership of Saltbox Church does not mean you join a club. It, it means you volunteer your gifts. That Paul talks about being members of the body of Christ. And that's got something really important for you, too. And you're just going to have to tell me if you disagree with me at any point now. Because as you become members of this church here, on this day, so we send you out. Not because we've got rights over you, but because we've got a lot invested in you. And because you've chosen to be part of the family here, so we acknowledge that you're part of the body. And we send you out and share you with a bunch of Italians. Uh, you've got to be a European to understand the inflection there. But it's all in good fun because it's wonderful what you do. And it's wonderful the way that you don't go with great and enormous galaxy of gifts and a shopping list of things that you bring. But you go to be, a, to be servants of God among people who don't know the Lord to bring them to Jesus. I think it's fantastic. I'm going to ask Steve to anoint them with oil as I pray for him. Lord Jesus, we praise you for Bill and we praise you for Shelley. And Lord, we are not unaware of the pain and um, struggle in both of their physical bodies. Lord, we are not unaware of their daily battle. And yet, Father, you call us to take up our cross and follow you. You crawl, uh, call us to lay down our lives so that you can live through us. And Father, the th first thing we want to do is acknowledge that these two are carrying the very gospel of Christ Jesus to Italy. Lord, we praise you that we can send out a couple from here to there. We can send out a missionary couple. And Lord, I pray that you would give them strategic relationships. Lord, would you bring people across their paths? Lord Jesus, would you give them the words to say? Would you create a bright light that people are drawn to in a place that's probably less than 2% Christian? Father, use them mightily and use them powerfully, Lord Jesus. We love them, we praise you for them, and we send them out in the name and by the blood of Jesus. In your name we pray.
Amen. We're in the middle of our Pioneer series, and uh, we have Ruth, who don't tell anybody, but she's one of my favorite elders here at Saltbox. And uh, she's going to be leading us on Priscilla and Aquila. And I'm going to see if I can get you the mic. I love learning about the various people Paul traveled around with. I think we can so often expect the person God uses is a out there, lone ranger, doing their own thing, having the vision, going for it. And yet, when we look in scripture, so often there's team. There's team in uh, Jesus' day, he had his 12 disciples, he had those women supporting him, he had the 70, there were so many. Jesus had to go away to a lonely place to be alone. We have in the Old Testament, you have Moses going through the wilderness with those other leaders. We have David and his three and his 30, and people work well together in team. And it's encouraging to see how God uses them. I want to say, because I'm very conscious that this is a controversial issue, which I think has already been noted, about women in pastoral care. Can I just say, I am not an ardent feminist, but I believe that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus said there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free. We are each loved by the King of Kings and gifted by him to serve one another. And sometimes uh, the man or men are really used but I think we need to give room for one another. So don't think I'm on some argy-bargy, you know, raise the flag and go bananas. That's not me. <laughs> yes, well. <laughs> I didn't say a thing. I was tempted, but I resisted temptation. <laughs> I'm not talking about what happens at home, Clive. <laughs> John Wesley said, always hundreds of years ago, there's no such thing as solitary religion. We need one another, we are family, we're the body of Christ. And it's wonderful that we have the privilege to get to know that while we're here on earth. Because for, we all have to live together forever in heaven. If we don't start loving one another now, it's going to be such a shock. So uh, let's be family. I love the concept of team. I didn't once upon a time. I was married two weeks, and Clive said, I believe the Lord might want us to start a team of young people going around the UK and doing coffee bar missions and school assemblies and religious education lessons. And I thought, well, I wish God had told you two weeks before we got married because I could have got out of the marriage. <laughs> but I was lumbered. This was August. At Christmas, uh, we got together 20 young people in our home. Our home was two rooms with a shared bathroom and a shared kitchen. I'm very echoey, aren't I? Yes. 
uh, two rooms with a shared bathroom and a shared kitchen. We didn't have much room. We did share the house with two girls downstairs, and they were away at the time, so we had four rooms and a bathroom in the kitchen. We had 20 young people for 48 hours in that home, praying and fasting. It was good we were fasting. That made life much easier. Seeking God. God, is this something from you, or is this some wild, cack-eyed idea that Clive's got? And... Um, <laughs> You never have crazy ideas, do you? No. And it was amazing. Nothing happened for all those hours till right at the end we had communion together. And as we shared communion together, there was a prophetic word. And God said there will be ten. And you will know who you are. Now, Graham Kendrick, who's coming in November, he was one of them. His backing musician didn't come in the ten. I was wanting to go into the teaching profession. I had to give it up to do this. But for two and a half years, we traveled the length and breadth of Britain. We were home about four days a week, and when we were home, we lived in community. Four, four days a month, yeah. Thank you, Clive. Um, we lived together. We didn't raise support. We have no clue where the next penny was coming from. If one got some money, we shared it. We had it all in common. We would spend at least two hours a day together in prayer and just seeking God's face. It was a microcosm of the early church. It was so special. When those two and a half day years came up and I stopped to have babies, I was bereft. There is the possibility to really be team here together on earth. It is possible if we really want to commit ourselves to one another in the strong name of Jesus. So sharing, I've seen a little bit. This is what Paul was doing on the road with so many of the people we've looked at. Clive. Uh, you may wonder why I'm sitting up here. And the answer is you can't look at Priscilla and Aquila without looking at the fact that one's a woman and one's a man. And without hitting that issue that is so huge in the American church today of women in ministry. We know somebody who is looking, brilliantly qualified, tons of experience, looking for a ministry position. In what she's looked at, there are 1,400 ministry positions available pastorally for a man. Zero for a woman. That probably would not apply in any other part of the world. And here in the US, we are perfectly happy to recognize people in ministry, providing they then go out of the country and go on the mission field. But not here. So it becomes such a contentious issue. And I wasn't prepared to let Ruth talk on that because it is way too dangerous for a woman to talk about women in ministry. So I hope you're going to forgive me just taking the opportunity and doing that because the number of people who have said to me over the years, well, it's, there's not an issue here. The Apostle Paul says women should be quiet in church. The Apostle Paul says women can't take authority. 
and leadership in any way that includes men. It's straightforward. Great. So you don't say anything in church. So you don't take a position in authority in church if you're a woman. You never have your hair cut. Your head is always covered. Why is it that we are selective about biblical instructions? That some things we think still apply today and some things we think don't. When scripture doesn't give you that liberty. And we look in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and we look at the fact that women are saved by childbearing. It's there in the Bible. It's straightforward. So how do you get saved if you're a woman and don't have any children? There are some huge problems with these things. But the rest of the world doesn't seem to have them. So why do we? So let me explain why we do. It all comes down to the Nestle um, translation from the Greek. That's, that's your problem. Um, there was no difficulty about women being in ministry of some kind within the church until we hit the end of the 19th century. And today, in most of the world, there is no problem. There is a hundred-year blip. And most of the problem is the Nestle version of the Greek. And it really crystallizes around a person named Junior or Junius. Now, if you know your, your Bible, uh, Romans chapter 16 talks about the apostles, and there are 27 apostles in the New Testament. Two of them were named Andronicus and Junior. Now, this is a great problem, because Andronicus, we knew, was a guy. Junior was either a woman or a boy named Sue. <laughs> if you remember the Johnny Cash song. Because Junior is a woman's name, not a man's name. So the way that the Nestle translators got over it was they added an S. Now, the only problem with that is it's not in any of the Greek versions at all. It's just not there. It was a flight of a male imagination. <laughs> added an S, because that made it male. And all apostles would have to be men. I'm sorry, guys. At least one apostle was a woman. Always a boy named Sue. And how did this horrendous error take place? Well, it was a flight of the male imagination. How did it get dealt with? A hundred years later, the translators got down and could not live with themselves any longer and took the S out. 
So if you've got a Bible, say you've got the New American Standard, that's produced in that 100-year gap, and you'll find Junius back in all his male glory. <laughs> if you've got a really modern translation, you'll find Junior, and the woman has been restored. And even the most conservative version of all, which is the English Standard Version, among the new ones, the most conservative, has Junior, but does concede in a footnote that some say Junius. But there is no ground for it. If you go through the history of the church, there is no problem. People don't have a difficulty. So you take outstanding leaders like St. John Chrysostom, applauding women in leadership. I'm sorry, guys, we're on a really tough one on this because we haven't got any evidence. What we do have are a few scattered Pauline texts. Now, am I going to argue that those texts are wrong? No, they're absolutely right. Paul says women should shut up in church, and so they should. When you have the circumstance of the church that Paul was writing to. Because he was writing to a church where the women were, and I'm not trying to be rude, okay? It could have been men jabbering on, and Paul could have said the men need to be quiet. But he says the women need to be quiet. And the reason was that women were interrupting the services. That the guys were leading at the front, and if their guy got it wrong, they interrupted him to put him right. Now, I know women would never do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Ever. Ever. Never, never dream of it. No, you're always but right. That's what Paul's writing to. He's writing to a particular situation. It's... Appalling that none of you have your heads covered, ladies. <coughs> Paul said you have to. So why is it that you keep quiet, but you don't have your heads covered? Again, it, it's getting awfully selective. And the reasoning is very simple. Scripture is written to particular situations. Paul is writing to particular situations. Now let's take the childbearing one. It's very simple. I know that you are deeply familiar with the Gnostic heresies of Basilides and Valentinus. I know I don't have to go over this ground at all with you. Just like in the first century, it would have been a bit difficult to raise the theories of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormon Church or others. Basilides and Valentinus were the trendy Gnostics of the first 200 years of church life. And they introduced all kinds of ideas. One is that women were saved by not bearing children. 
And so Paul says women are saved by childbearing. He is countering a heresy of the day. But so much of this is simply written to the situation, for the situation. And that's why you've got the apparent contradiction in Scripture of why Jesus had his physical needs met uh, financially through the ministry of women. That's why my Jesus sends a woman to Samaria to bring a nation to him. That's why there are so many apparent contradictions. They're not contradictions. They're messages to particular situations. And so you get the glory of Priscilla and Aquila. And it's a wonderful story of how these two minister together. The simple fact is there are four positions you can take on women in ministry. And I'm going to tell you what mine is. Okay? I am an extremely moderate complementarian. It's so word in America. Pardon? Is it? Yes, they use it differently. Oh, really? Pardon? Yes, but it's slightly different from, yeah. Slightly. What it means is different. The two basic positions you can be are an evangelical egalitarian, which basically says that a woman can take any position in the church, uh, but does it alongside men, but not necessarily so. A complementarian says that a woman can take positions in the church but does it alongside men. And I'm a, a complementarian, a very moderate one. Uh, my youngest son is an egalitarian. Do we ever argue the issue? No, because the difference is about that big. We are making something massive out of something that shouldn't be. Let me tell you what the big issues are in the church. How many people have you brought to Jesus? How much is the ministry and the life in your community transformed by your presence as church here? How much are we doing in this world where God has placed us? And please, let's not try to get rid of half the army. We need every able-bodied man and woman working together for the glory of the king and his kingdom. We need to release people to do and be what they are in Jesus and stop getting so awfully confused about what we think is banned without actually checking up first that we're actually reading the Bible right. Oh, and uh, all the versions are now lined up for us, and yet still we're acting as if they're saying what they said 100 years ago. I'm actually going back to where the scripture originally was, has been all the way through, except for one brief unfortunate interregnum where we got it wrong. Does that help some of you? Good. Ruth. The man will now be quiet. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) I love you. Um, Actually, if you go home and you read your Bible from beginning to end, see how many women are mentioned and what they're mentioned for throughout those scriptures huge numbers, huge numbers of women. 
and uh, it's all got foggy and we need to live in the light of what the scripture says. I love this couple. I have enjoyed looking at them. Priscilla and Aquila. They came originally from Italy, from Rome. They were kicked out by Emperor Claudius when he kicked out all the Jews from Rome. Now we know that Aquila was a Jew. But there's no mention that actually Priscilla is a Jew. But obviously husband and wife, they go together. Where did Aquila come from? There are suggestions that he was there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and he heard Peter preach. There's suggestions that he was one of the 70 disciples that went out, but we don't know. We, all we know is he was a Jew and he and Priscilla, Priscilla's her nickname really, her true name is Prisca, uh, they moved to Corinth in Greece. These are huge distances when you hear the story of Priscilla and Aquila, where they went. So they've gone from Rome to Corinth. They are tent makers. Now, um, some translations say they were leather workers or even saddle makers. That's highly unlikely because uh, Paul's father was a very strict Pharisee and, Phar and strict Pharisees were not allowed to work with leather. It would have defiled them. So it's very likely that they were tent makers. And the tent material, this linen that was made for the tents, was made from a long-haired goat where the, the hair, fur, whatever you call it, was woven to make these tents. Pliny the Elder tells of these linen cloths being made to cover theatres, the Roman Forum, the Sacred Way, Nero's amphitheatres. It was also used as awnings for houses and sails for ships. It was a very strategic job at those times. And of course, that is the job that Paul did. So they come together, they live in the house together, they work together, they make tents together, or they make cloth together. They enjoyed fellowship. And uh, we read that Paul calls Priscilla and Aquila fellow workers in Christ Jesus. That's in Romans 16, verse 3. What I think is fascinating, seven times in my Bible, in the NIV, um, it says Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla. Seven times, they're always together, never apart. If you're taking notes and you want the references, it's Acts 18, 2, 18, 18, 18, 19, 18.26, Romans 16.3, 1 Corinthians 16.19, and 2 Timothy 4 verse 19. I'll give them to you at the end. What is fascinating, seven times Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla, five times Priscilla's name comes first. Do you remember when we looked at Barnabas? When Barnabas and Saul first started ministering together, it is Barnabas and Saul. And when Saul came <clears throat> freer into ministry and really became known, it was Paul and Barnabas. Normally, the more strategic, the more gifted, the more the leader, the name comes first. Just read it. You make your own decisions. <coughs> Does this mean... Priscilla was higher educated, could have done. 
We know her name was aristocratic uh, from her time in Italy. Was she more spiritually on fire? Was she the leader? Or was Aquila just a really good guy, really secure in his skin? He knew his wife was more gifted, so he put her forward. He wasn't threatened. He enjoyed seeing his wife grow into her giftings. We don't know. You make your own decision. We, don't, we haven't got a you know, ticket and you get it right. But certainly this was a marriage that was very secure. There, there's never any hostility. It's always the two of them together. Seven times, always the two of them together. Partnership in marriage is not achieved by weakening the husband, but by elevating the wife. That they can come together and be secure in knowing that God has gifted them, God's brought them together, God is using them to his glory. It's thought that Priscilla was the first female preacher in the early church and honored as such. And there's even suggestion that Priscilla wrote Hebrews because it's anonymous and she said, doesn't she, that she's going to write a short letter? And it went on for a rather long time. But uh, we don't know. But those suggestions are there. For 18 months or so, these three, Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul, stay in Corinth, working together, having a house, church in their house, ministering to the community. They became very, very close. And, um, and God really used them. And then after about 18 months, God moves, uh, Paul moves to Ephesus. And Paul, Priscilla and Aquila go with him. So they've left Corinth and they've gone to, to, uh, to Ephesus. All these names are difficult, aren't they, at times? Ephesus was a huge city. It's the fourth city in the Roman world. It was about a quarter of a million people, very affluent. If any of you have been to Ephesus, it's still an amazing place. Everything's made out of beautiful marble. It's the top of the range. And that's where they went. And Paul started by debating with the people in the community, but then he soon left and went to Caesarea, leaving Priscilla and Aquila behind. That guy Clive mentioned, John Chrysostom, who was the Archbishop of Constantinople, said... He believed Paul left them in Ephesus so that their teaching gifts would develop. Uh, it wasn't long after Paul left that a very eloquent and very gifted preacher came to town. His name was Apollos. He came, he was very enthusiastic, he went to the synagogue and talks about the Lord, talks about the scriptures, gets very excited and People are very enthralled, but he missed some of the whole story. He talked about John's baptism, but he didn't know about the baptism that the early church was demonstrating. They didn't know about being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So after he'd finished, this is something we need to learn. Priscilla and Aquila gently took him home. And in the context of their home, calmly corrected his teaching. It's so easy for us to say, oh, that person's wrong. Oh, they shouldn't do that. And we, we can cause division in the church. Take someone home. Love them. And if they're wrong, 
Just love them to truth. Don't destroy them. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He knew the scriptures well, but he hadn't got the whole story. And it's Priscilla and Aquila teaching him in the context of home. Aquila and Priscilla kept moving. They were in Ephesus, and then they went back to Rome. They went back to get the church that then met in their home again there, ready for Paul's visit. The, the emperor, Claudius, has died, so they have the freedom. But a few years after they get there, there's an almost enormous fire in Rome. Ten of the 14 um, sections, what would you call them, departments of Rome, were destroyed in this huge fire. And history thinks that Priscilla and Aquila became homeless. And they had to make their way away, find somewhere to live, and they went back to Ephesus. I don't know if you know the distances in these. It's enormous. We, from our previous church, we did a, a trip in the steppes of St. Paul, going to Turkey and Greece. <coughs> it was so far in a bus, you nearly wanted to scream because it went on and on and on and on and uphill, down, down, mountains, rivers, whatever. These guys did it without <coughs> buses, without cars, without planes. They did it following the wind of the Spirit, going wherever God told them to do. And they went back to Ephesus, and there is where we see them serving God there in that community. It's uh, I, I fell in love with these two. I love the fact that they have a marriage that is a partnership. So often we see one or the other, but to see working together, feeling secure, loving one another, that Paul loved to be in their company, that uh, this was a vibrant couple using their life to his glory, going wherever God told them to go. They were so surrendered to Jesus, ready to hear his voice, not holding on to the things of this earth. It even says, tradition says that these two were martyred together. They, I think that's how they'd love to go. Not necessarily the martyrdom, but going together. They served him wherever they lived. They were not threatened by each other's gifts. They discreetly corrected Apollo's teaching, and wherever they lived, they opened their home to others. Church was in their home. They didn't hold on to their house and make it a castle, but they let down the drawbridge and said, anyone, come in. They moved wherever God led them, and then in Romans 16, 3 and 4, it says, Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. I wonder what that means. What, how did they risk their lives for him? Obviously something very significant we have no idea but all the churches were forever grateful to Priscilla and Quilla for protecting and covering Paul and seeing him safe. Near the end of Paul's letter, he writes a sad, lonely letter just before his death, and probably from Rome, and his final greetings begin, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now, you go home, you read those passages, 
You make your own conclusions. How Paul honoured Priscilla. And not just Priscilla, there's Tabitha, Lydia, and numerous others. Phoebe. Phoebe. Yes, Phoebe was trusted with taking the epistle of Romans to Rome. And no one, no doubt she answered questions on it when she got there. Very, very trustworthy woman. We, we live in times when sometimes we just don't live this sort of life. We have our culture, we have our lifestyle, and we have Jesus. But sometimes Jesus is not quite up the top. We can get so burdened and overloaded by the things of life. And Jesus just longs that we put him first. These two crazy people have gone to Italy. It may sound really glamorous. It, when you see the pictures, it looks stunning. But what nutters? Italy is such a hard place for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God has had a call on their life, and they're doing whatever he tells them to do. Sometimes we do crazy things. When God brought us to America, that was the craziest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> so often we, ask, we have our plans done. Uh, well, if I get into trouble, I get into trouble. Because it was crazy for us to leave our family. But God has spoken. Are we living lives dangerously? Are we passionate about our Lord Jesus? Are we passionate to serve him? Are we passionate to tell others of the love of Jesus? Are we passionate to forget all things and go after him wherever he takes us? I trust that we get excited how God wants to use us. That we will work at our marriages. That we'll bring Jesus into the heart of our marriages. That the, you know, the greatest gift as parents is to be happily married to our spouses, not to our parents. As parents to our children, the most important thing is to be happily married and to create that environment where our children can know and love Jesus and see it in a place where Jesus is attractive. Live dangerously. Go out on a limb. Do whatever he tells you. Have accountability. Don't just say, I am going there because I think that's what I'm going to do. If you're going to go there, bring it to others in the body of Christ and have that accountability. If you just go off and do your own thing, it will eventually go wrong. It starts well, but it goes horribly wrong. When we had that team of 10 young people, we had four key Christian leaders who spoke into our lives, who created accountability, challenged us, what was our walk with God like? Phoebe, uh, Phoebe, you've got me on Phoebe now. Priscilla and Aquila, an incredible couple. Incredible couple. God mightily used them. They didn't hold on to the things of earth. They moved on. They kept moving. They kept going wherever God told them. They gently corrected someone who hadn't quite got the whole gospel message right. May we be challenged by two people who travelled enormous distances who held on to the things of this world lightly, but became fellow, close companions of Paul. May God bless you.
think, I think one of the biggest problems that we have is when it comes to baptizing our culture. It's a real temptation when culture shifts to accept it and think that is the Christian position. Uh, and often our culture is not Christian. And we can try to baptize it all we want. We just can't make it go there. And however much one can learn from different positions, it's very hard to argue that flagrant feminism is Christian. It's equally hard to argue that God does not have a role for women in the body. So we've got to recognize that God takes people in different positions there for different reasons and uses them for his glory. And so it becomes more and more important that we're raising people up and really encouraging them and supporting them. If you want to take the issue of women, you've got the elect lady in 2 John who clearly is nurturing the church in her home. You've got Nympha, um, just such a brief mention, church again in her home. You've got Phoebe. You've got so much and so many people who are really important. Mm -hmm. And we need to encourage and help each other, whether as couples or individuals, to grow in the love and knowledge of God. One of the ways that we encourage and help each other is by breaking bread together. And that's exactly what we're going to do now. And as we take bread and wine, I want you to remember, let, let me make a confession. It's very trendy nowadays to take bread, dip it in the wine, and take it in one go. I have real problems with that because my brothers and sisters were martyred to preserve communion in two kinds. It's really important to recognize that bread and wine are not the same. So as you come and take the bread and wine, just a little thought. The bread speaks of the strength that we need to live for Jesus, whether we're men or women. The wine speaks of the forgiveness that we need, having messed up and screwed up. And they're not the one element, they're two. So I want you to take bread, asking the Lord to strengthen you in your weakness. And I'd like you to take the wine, asking the Lord to forgive you for your failures. And I want you to remember something. He is the God of the second chance, and the 200th chance, and the 2,000th chance. And he loves to give you another chance and another go. So as we come and take bread and wine now, receive strength from Jesus. Receive forgiveness from the living Christ. And let him prepare you for the next week. And then go and find brothers and sisters. Strengthen them. Help them to fulfill.
their purpose in you. 